Good morning. It's a chilly winter morning. We're glad to have you here. My name is Eric Orr, and it's my good pleasure to welcome you this morning to River City Church. We pray that the Lord will give you everything that you came for, and more importantly, everything that you need. Now, here at River City, we teach through the Revised Common Lectionary. It's a set of readings that are used by the global church, which will work through the Bible over a three-year period. Our psalm for today is Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we praise you and we thank you this morning. We give ourselves to you freely, Lord, so that we can hear what you want us to hear and see what you want us to see. Help us, Lord, to love you with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our strength. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Come be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. So you stand with me as we pray for the needs of our community this morning. I've been reading some Jesus stories to my kids. They're really young. And I found real quick, if you read the stories of Jesus, that he loves the poor, the afflicted, the hungry, those that would seem unlovable. And many of you are those people like me. And God loves you so much. And he wants you to know that he's close to you and he cares for you. And today we're gonna pray for you, the needs afflicted in this community and also those beyond here. Because at Jesus's death and his resurrection, we know that it didn't stop, that the body of Christ continues to love this world. So it says in Isaiah 58, if you remove the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, and if you would give yourself to the hungry to satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness. Your gloom will become like midday and the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. So God, this morning we pray for the needs of our community and God believing that you want to use us to satisfy the desire of the afflicted and that you will bring light in darkness. 
we pray for the universal church, all of its members and its mission. God, for those gathering this morning in congregations here in Smyrna and in Cobb County, God, that you would bring unity to all believers. Despite our small differences, God, that we would be united in your body. We, we pray this morning for all of the persecution happening in Nigeria. There's a lot. This week, a seminarian was murdered. Of him, people said, it seems that his only crime was his desire to serve God. And we pray for him and all those affected by his death. We pray for the 32 Christians that were killed in attacks this past week in Nigeria. God, that you would be with the body of believers, God, and those that have been afflicted across the world. For the continued persecution by Boko Haram in Nigeria, God, towards the Christians, we pray and ask that you would cause these persecutions to relent, but God, that your name would go forth. For all those afflicted, let your light rise in the darkness. God, we pray for our world and all those in it. We continue to pray for those affected by the coronavirus with over 30,000 cases and over 800 dead now. God, would you cause your church in China, God, to be a non-anxious presence, God, that they would not be filled with fear, but God, that they might be your life in China amidst times of fear and unrest. God, we pray for the unrest here in America amidst the election coming up and the acquittal of President Trump. God, we pray that you would bring down our defenses. God, let us hope in Jesus, not in some political figure, but God, that you would be our light. For all those afflicted, let your light rise in darkness. For the welfare of Smyrna and Cobb County, we pray this week as we have shared perspective coming up in the midst of Black History Month, God, we pray that you would bring reconciliation to our community. Across the differences, God, thank you for the opportunity to work in conjunction with what's happening. God, we pray that those that come in from the community, God, that they might see that you are the reconciler of all people. We pray for our new police chief, Joe Bennett, God, as he steps in, God, that we thank you for the service of people who would lay down their lives for the sake of others, just as you have done for us. God, for all those afflicted, God, for orphans, foster children, sexually abused in our community, God, help us to be an answer. And we pray that you would be with those who suffer. For those afflicted, let your light shine in darkness. We pray for the concerns of this local community, any of you who suffer in it. We pray for Katie Mallet, who's on bed rest currently. God, that you would cause her to be healed. We pray for Brooke Hamill, Caroline Gobby, as they recover from surgery. God, that you would restore them. For Cassie Witt's mom, God, we continue to pray for strength, God, both mentally and spiritually. God, that she would be a testament to your faithfulness. God, that she would be filled with faith. For all of you who suffer, God, physically, relationally, financially, God, that we would be with you as just as you were with us. Amidst our darkness, would you shine forth 
and let the light of Christ be present in this community. For all those afflicted, we pray, let your light rise in the darkness. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. Today I'm going to do my best to get through what I feel like is another message similar to last week, which was not a message we typically want to hear, but if we're going to embody the kind of church that I feel like our kids need to be involved in and our community needs to see, I think we have to talk about these things and not run from them anymore. And we've been in kind of some content built around practicing the way, which is this concept of three things. We can talk about them right now. One of them is... Da, 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 da. be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. These are kind of the things in a bucket of apprenticeship to Jesus or becoming a disciple. And so there's really no version of this that works without the idea of being with Jesus first. Um, there's also no version that works that ends with only being with Jesus. To be with Jesus means that you are to be with others. There's no way around that. There's no way to live in communion with the Father and it not spill out. And in fact, today, I think in this passage we're going to read, you're going to hear that if that's the way that your life is built towards inner worship and it's not spilling out, it wasn't actually ever worship. And that's a hard thing, but it's a true thing. But last week we talked about a concept that my seminary teacher and probably my life's best mentor, Dr. Johns, um, she had this quote a few weeks ago and she said this, my movement, our movement was originally the Church of God, now we're in a different stream, um, but my movement talks about prayer. We are a praying people, but we aren't inclined toward penitent prayer or the life of ongoing repentance. Lack on this teaching and subject has made us people who love to praise God, while at the same time compromised by personal and corporate sin. I firmly believe that 2020 should be our penitent year. I love this phrasing because I know that the 2020 idea of vision is just an easy in route for all of us that want more for ourselves to say 2020 is the year for more vision for my life. And I think what this concept gets at is that there's a different posture we need to take. We don't need to get America to cry out to God again. We, the church, need to cry out in fervent, penitent prayer. Both we and our ancestors have sinned. There is a whole generation who have never experienced the heavy, convicting cloud of God's presence. They've seen smoke machines and even danced before the Lord, but they've never been overwhelmed by the glory or trembled under the weight of the holy hush. The only way there is through the door marked penance. I talked about last week, and I'd go back and listen to it. Um, we are good. Our generation is incredibly good at calling out in others or speaking truth to power, the things we would not like to see. We are not so good at embodying what it looks like to be penitent. We're not so great at confessing our own sin. We run from it. And I think partly because we see how people who are caught in it are treated. And I just don't think it's a good structure, right? So let's be people who speak truth to power, but let's speak truth to the own power in our hearts first. In a way that shows our kids, oh, this is what it's like when I'm in a spot where I have to own the thing that's mine. And this is how you healthily walk through it. I think, I think our next generation is going to be really good at this. I think they have to be, or the church won't survive. Because there's too many spaces right now built around giving you your best life ever. Or a friend of mine does work in the movie stuff. Where are you? It was not a personal cut against movies last week. But the series built around life at the movies, kind of these concepts that are really kind of surface level, 
to kind of give us a little bit of what we need and our phrasings as churches to gather people and larger numbers are not necessarily helping us to the deeper life in the walk with Christ. And that's what we're called to, a deeper walk with Christ, to examine the deeper things. And one of those things is penance. Another thing is an issue we cannot avoid and we have to hit head on now, and that's busyness. There's no way for the church to remain the church and us to stay as busy as we've been. This is not a kind of problem for us. This is the biggest problem we will face as a church going into the future. The busy, busy, busy mantra. And there's no way around it. We have to become a people that know how to navigate it. There's actually a phrasing in this about making war in this passage I'm going to read. And Dallas Willard actually says, you can pull up one of his quotes. Um, Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. There's actually a book that some of us are reading called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer, who's reading this book right now. Four or five of you, it's a good book. Really, awesome. So there's 10 things they say that would show the symptoms of hurry, a hurried lifestyle, right? So one, irritability. Anyone irritable ever? Amen. You get mad, frustrated, or just annoyed way too easily. I know people in my own life, like uh, somebody's raising their hand, yeah. Hypersensitivity. All it takes is a minor comment to hurt your feelings, a grumpy email to set you off, or a little turn of events to throw you into an emotional funk or ruin your day. Can I get an amen? Amen. Number three, relentlessness. That's what I said. (laughs) Back to number two, (laughs) restlessness. When you actually do try to slow down and rest, you cannot relax. Can I get an amen? Who has shaky leg syndrome? My wife has that. Workaholism or just nonstop activity. You just don't know when to stop, or worse, you can't. Emotional numbness. You just don't have the capacity to feel another's pain. (laughs) You're welcome. All right, number six. Out of order priorities. You feel disconnected from your identity and calling our entire generation. Lack of care for your body. You don't have time for the basics like naturally good food or having a conversation. Number seven, back to that one. That's what I just did. Escapist behaviors. When we're too tired to do what is actually life-giving for our souls, we each turn to our distraction of choice. Overeating, overdrinking, binge-watching Netflix, browsing social media, surfing the web, looking at porn. Name your preferred cultural narcotic. Number nine, slippage in spiritual disciplines. Let's be honest, many of us don't even know what that is. If you're anything like me, when you get over busy, the things that are truly life-giving for your souls are the first to go rather than your first, rather than your first to go. I don't even know what I just did there. You guys got it. You guys are smart. Such as a quiet time in the morning, scripture, prayer, Sabbath, worship on Sunday, a meal with your community, and so on. Number 10, isolation. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. A lot of us think the best thing possible would just be a night by ourselves at home, and that would be every night, (laughs) right? Like this state we're in, it's like a perpetual can never catch up and there's no use trying, so let's sedate ourselves and just continue forward and binge watch something else. So today when I talk about what I'm talking about, it might seem a little different to this, but I'm going to wrap back around to it. 
We're going to talk about Sabbath by the end, which is not something we celebrate. 52. Everybody say 52. That's how many days of the year God would incline us to spend doing nothing busy. 52 days of the year. One per week. I don't know how many hours that is, but it's 24 times 52. That's a lot. 52. How many are we behind? Like if you were to build up how many of those days where you sat just to be present with your creator and to do things that feed your soul with him, we're going to circle back to that in a minute. First, we're going to read Isaiah 58. If you can pull this up, we're going to read the whole passage. This passage is written around 538 BC. This is just for people who need to know this. They are out of exile, back into their nation. The temple is not rebuilt yet. It's not a place they're going, but they are gathering to worship God. Isaiah is charged by God to speak this. So he is an instrument by God to speak into a people, a prophetic message. And typically the message is hard to hear and it's challenging, but it's always leading to a place of healing and growth. It's not a desire for him to make sure people know that God does not like them or is angry. It's his desire to lead people back into the rest that was originally intended. So I'm going to read you Isaiah 58. Cry loudly, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me, and he's speaking kind of sarcastically. Yet they seek me by day, day by day, and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God. They ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and you do not see? Why do we humble ourselves and you do not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your own desire and drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strife with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. It is a fast like this which I choose. This is baffling for us. A day for a man to humble himself It is for bowing one's head. These are like rhetorical questions. Is it for bowing one's head like a reed and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, and to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light will break out like the dawn, and your recovery will speedily spring forth, and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke, from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. Specifically here, this pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness is pointing at the people who are in the lowest places and blaming them for their state. It's pointing at those who are unjustly where they're at, but saying, but but that's why they're there. He's literally saying to them, if you do this, I will not answer you. And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, Then your light will rise in darkness and your gloom will become like midday. 
And the Lord will continue to guide you and satisfy your desires in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden. Who wants to be like a watered garden? I want to be like a watered garden. Sounds awesome. And like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you will rebuild in ancient ruins. The ancient ruins, you will raise up the age of foundations and you will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets in which you dwell. This is the interesting turn to me. If because of the Sabbath you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor it, desiring, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure and speaking your own word, then you will take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth and I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's good stuff. All right, let's pray real quick. Father, we just thank you for the word spoken through the prophet in Isaiah to speak to us some 530 years before Jesus and 2,530 years before us, and it still speaks to us now. And we just ask that you would allow us to really grasp what you're saying with this tough word. Right? especially those of us who have a specific way that worship needs to happen on Sundays for you to show up. Remind us of what's really at stake here and what real worship looks like. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. First thing you need to know, we can relate ourselves to this, but this is not our church. There were multitudes of religious people doing spiritual things in large numbers. So this word is spoken to a people who are already doing a ton of spiritual activity. That is not where we stand right now in a post-Christian culture. We're happy to have people just in our churches, just celebrating. This group of people has done it so much that they've become so good at things that they've forgotten what's important. And they've even gotten an attitude about it. It's like the kind of worshipers that are like, do you not see what we're doing? Do you not see what, like we are doing this. And you are not answering us. It's almost like mocking God, like we're doing what we should do. The temple's not rebuilt yet. They're probably like us, trying to build a type of church that will kind of distance itself from the past mistakes, right? I mean, label it. What, what, what have we not created that distance itself from the past mistakes of the church? We have seeker-sensitive. We have non-seeker-sensitive. We have liturgical. We have charismatic. We have charisturgical. We have liturgismatic. We have Bapticostal, we have Baptist, Pentecostal, we have non-denominational, we have non-denominal characteristic, we have anything and everything. We have churches that don't desire to talk about Jesus. We have churches that only speak the word of Jesus. We have churches that worship through song from start to finish. We have churches that read scripture from start to finish. We literally have created everything. And in so many of us is this desire to never be what it was, right? That's them as well. And their idea is that if we would just be more active in worship, our personal worship, if we would just seek the Lord for ourselves more. And so they're asking God, do you not see what we're doing, right? This land's so close to home for some of us. And God says, oh, I do see what you're doing. I see exactly what you're doing. And it's not real worship, For us, I think the pitfall here, and this is what I want to stop you on, 
is we live in such a separated, this or that, non-both-and society that when we think of worship and mission, we separate those things. There are churches that are very worshipful, that gather people really well, that have great liturgies, and there are churches that send people that don't value the gathering. I think the point here isn't, should you worship together in the church? I think the point is, if it doesn't end in this kind of serving, it was never really worship. That's the point. So back up from it. Our desires to get what we want from God during worship could be the very thing impeding what worship really is. I want to read you this quote real quick. Worship is the most important thing we do together. For those of us who hear a message like this and think we have got to start serving our city better, right? Like one of our second things is worship's just not that important when people are dying, right? Get out in the streets and serve people. Worship is still the most important thing we do together. It is the place that forms us into the people of God. It is the place where we inhale God's love and grace so that we can be sent forth to exhale God's love and grace into a broken world in need of redemption. The critique that God offers through the mouth of Isaiah is that the more Israel has become self-conscious about their improved worship life, the less it has remained open to God's vision for the community. Praise, prayer, and fasting are cherished not as gifts that nurture the covenantal relationships, but as techniques for drawing attention to its human participants. That is eye-opening. What do we do with what we're doing? How do we live out of this? But he says to them, here's your hope. If you stop doing this kind of thing, I will bless you again. I will bless you. God's desire here is not to withhold himself. His desire is to say, I'm prophesying actually about Jesus who's coming in 530 something years and his whole mission will be for the sake of the other. In fact, even you won't be able to grasp the whole thing unless he comes to you as a poor and broken, someone who is naked and needing, needing to be clothed. If you don't receive him as that, you can't be that. So he's saying to them, this is the whole message. This is the whole message that you would become this to your cities. If our body, right, if this body is so alive in worship, just the, whatever, hundred and something of us in here, if just us were so vibrant in worship and it was true worship, we could point to the ways this city was different. We could literally be like, and here is how this is different in our city, right? If we have a mega church one day, which we're not gonna have a mega church one day, let's just be honest. That's not a goal. If we grow, we grow, amen. But the more people here, the more we should be able to say, look at what God's doing to homelessness. Look at what God's doing to depression and anxiety. And look at what God's doing to addiction. And look at what God, God's doing to this problem of homelessness in our city. Look at how our church is stepping out of itself, out of worship, and it's coming out of us to our city. We'll be able to point to those things, not as our identity, but that's what true worship is, right? So don't fall for the pitfall to feel like you have to choose whether to be deep in worship personally or choose to serve your brother or sister. It's both and and it always will be. And if you find yourself in a spot where you have been fervently seeking Jesus for years, like you're just waiting on him, can't you see how I've been crying out? Hear the message of Isaiah. He's asking you to get outside of yourself. 
He's asking you to love your neighbor as he loves you. He's asking you to offer yourself. That's huge for us, right? But Isaiah had it good. Like we would, I actually think if it were us and we had this mass quantity of people, most of our church would be like, that's good enough, right? Like we had a thousand in attendance today. We would still have the little things on the wall that said how much attendance you had, how much offering. We're actually thinking about bringing that back. I'm just kidding. It didn't work. Those metrics don't work, right? So I think actually for us, this is probably a gift to us. We aren't in a culture that people just gather to do the practices, right? We don't even know the practices. So we're having to learn all of it together. If you seek the Lord with all your heart, it looks like this in your city. This is, this is our gift, that we're not in a society where everyone goes to worship God, everyone fasts. You want to call a fa- You want to see how few people will get involved in something in a church today? Call a fast. Start one on your own. Just try it out. Be like, I'm starting a fast. Anyone want to come hang out? Like, no. And if they do want to come hang out, it's because they just heard about a diet. That's probably going to work. And that's truth. That's too true. That hurts. 21-day Daniel fast? Yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll try that, right? When's spring break? Yeah, let's do this. Let's do this fast. Let's be honest, right? How many of us have fasted for this like? How many of us, when we fast, we're thinking, where are the homeless in my life? The food I'm not eating is going to them. Who's... The, You know, one of the big ideas behind fasting was so that you could relate to the broken. We've totally forgotten that. We use it as how to advance our spiritual future. 21 days of fasting for God's purpose for my life. That's not in itself terrible if the purpose of your life is to serve the people who need to be served. If it's like you're calling your identity, you're this, you're that, your gift set, they'll notice. If I I serve God and seek him like this, somebody's going to notice how how gifted I am because God has gifted me, right? Like if this is the the fruit of our fasting, nobody wants to fast. So we actually have a good deal here. We're being invited into this by Isaiah 2,500 years ago, and it's probably easier for us to know that we can worship God with our whole heart. Can you pull up this quote? Imagine this in our churches. Imagine the call to worship and how quickly people would walk out. So I just want you to know, don't look at that yet. You're all reading it. What is wrong with you? I'm not saying this to you. I'm reading it as if it's being said at another church, and just just imagine what would happen, right? Here we go. All right, so here we go. You can pull it up now, Bill. Thank you so much for taking it off. How would congregations respond to this worship call? We hope you are not planning to go through the motions today, singing the songs but never engaging your hearts, hearing the scripture but not listening to God, or giving an offering but not giving of yourselves. Because if so, you're not doing God any favors. You do not get points for attendance today. You do not get points for giving an offering today. You do not get points for mouthing words today. If you really worship God today, then you will share with the poor, listen to the lonely, and stop avoiding those in need. The preacher who dares to preach as Isaiah preached, this whoever does this kind of thing, it's crazy will tell those who come to church that if they are not there to give themselves to God, (laughs) then they should have stayed home. Amen. But I would never say that to y'all. I wouldn't do it. That's Brett Younger. You can Google him and send him some hate mail. Can you pull up the quote from Henry Nouwen? I, I see this pass through his Twitter feed. I don't know how he still tweets, honestly, but... 
Every time I see it, it, it punches me in my face, and this is what it says. Did I offer peace? Do you want to know if you worship? Do you want to know if you worshiped today? After you go home, did I offer peace today? Did I bring a smile to someone's face today? Did I say words of healing today? Did I go from anger and resentment? Did I let go of anger and resentment? Did I forgive someone? Did I love someone? These are the questions that surface and the things that happen if we have worshiped. If you leave worship and are angry at everyone because they didn't worship, you did not worship. That was not worship. Because worship forms us into people that look like Jesus, and the message of the gospel is to give yourself completely over to the other. That's the message of the gospel. That's why we were angry when he came and went to a cross, because this is not what a king does. But he did those things for us. All right, so I'm not going to stay too much longer in this. But at God's heart, this is probably the biggest part, and I'm having to read it. He wants us to be people that go from self-reliance and self-preservation to recognizing the others in our life. That's the heart of all of it. Go from self-reliance, self-preservation, self-calling, self-enhancement, self-futuring to understanding that Jesus came for the sake of the other and the other is not required to respond. That's the message of the gospel. So when we are filled with Jesus in worship rightly, whether it's through song or scripture or prayer or passing the peace or shouts and seeing healing, if we don't transition to totally give ourselves over to the other, didn't worship. Our generation will be a generation that does this differently. Our generation will be a generation that embodies confession, not pointing at those who need to confess because they did it wrong. Our generation will be a generation that doesn't point at the churches that didn't do this. Our generation will step into it and be like, let's do this. What's it look like to be a 42-year-old guy to confess? Right? That's why I'm writing an article in the best magazine I've ever read. It's called The Gathering. This, this article, this magazine is amazing. It's actually produced through River City Church. It's a really prominent church in Smyrna. Killing it, right? So, right, so like, I don't even know where I am right now. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so back to the Comer slide. So how do we practically take what's being said here and like embody this? It's not, again, to stop worshiping God. It's to worship rightly. It's for it to penetrate beyond just going through the motions and then letting it go into serving your city, right? And one of the ways, and this is where I wanted to kind of land today. I told you I was going to bring it back around. The concept of be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. We'll keep hitting that for the next year, probably. Our men's retreat will be built around it. Hopefully, the women's retreat will have some of that stuff in it. Our groups that are starting are literally having, we're having a a group built around how to Sabbath. That sounds ridiculous, because that sounds like something, if I were you, like 10 years ago, I'd be like, there's no chance I'm going to a group about about Sabbathing, because we feel like it's not that important, right? But why would, in this passage, Sabbath be mentioned? What if Sabbath and that type of lifestyle rhythm is the entrance into this type of worship? What if we're so busy that we've just decided to take our busyness into our worship 
which is why we have to demand what we need in that space and become frustrated. So actually, Sarah wrote an article. Sarah Turner's this really pronounced uh, like author one day. She had an article in here about Sabbath. And I'm going to read you a little bit of this article. It's my wife. Um, she's not here today. She's at another church, which that sounds terrible to say. <laughs> There's better churches out there. I get it. But she's my wife, you know, so that's like, un- that's uncomfortable. She wrote an article in the previous magazine called Spirituality Rebellious Rest, right? It goes like this. What we see in Genesis 1 is a poem book by nothingness. And the treasure of the poem, the word mode, this word means season or sacred times. And it is one of the words translated into the word Sabbath. Sabbath is the treasure of Genesis 1. It is precisely what God does on day 7. And it is what he continually calls his people back to. This treasure that may seem anticlimactic to us, especially in light of what else is happening in Genesis 1, but for the newly freed Israelites who would have read this for the first time after 430 years of bondage and slavery, the message is monumental. God's story begins with rest. This is a message that God gives them before anything else. Your value and worth does not come from what you do or what you produce. Your value comes because you are my creation. And I need you to know how to rest because every time you do, you will be reminded that you are loved by God. God has been inviting us from the beginning to rest with him. We need to rest now more than ever as our own Egypt tells us that our identity is found in what we can accrue, work for, and produce. The people of God in the Western world need to find our way to God for Sabbath. This is not a we should maybe I literally believe we, we do not survive as a church without this. The word trumpet at the beginning of this is actually a word used for that community for the summoning of war. So it's actually saying this, I am calling you to war against busyness. So the entry into this type of lifestyle of worship doesn't happen unless this type of rhythm and the space God has created for us becomes prominent in our midst, in your lives, in our lives. And actually, Dallas Willard said what he loved best about practicing the Sabbath was when he decided to slow down in one day. And and that doesn't mean going to do house projects. That was like my two-year thing. I was like, I'm on Sabbath, so I'll just do a house project, right? I'll just paint something. That's not Sabbath, something that feeds you. But he said when he does one day a week, it has this ability to make the other six days slower. And then all of a sudden, the pace of life is completely different, and we're going at a different speed. So how do we make war with our culture? Is it by speeding up and producing more Christian stuff so our culture can see it? Because we've done a lot of good Christian movies, guys, right? No? There's a good one out now called The Chosen I Heard This Morning or something. So, What's our way to stick it to the man, right? Like, how do we stick it to the man in our culture? We show our culture what it looks like to rest when busyness is a god. And how many in this room, if I said, this week you're going to start one day, you're doing nothing that day but things that feed your soul, fill your heart, and build intimacy, communion, and kinship with your father, would would run out of that space and go to four movies. It'd be a movie day. Is movie day Sabbath day? My family used to have this thing called movie day. We just go to like four movies. We only paid for one. Later in life, I was like, that was wrong. 
But, but we were already in the theater, and that was the way they made me believe it was okay. No, once you pay for one, it's good. It's good. So, I'm going to close today. I, I tried to do this thing, like, the, the end of this passage, it says a peculiar word in 13 and 14. It says, turn your foot back against the Sabbath that you're... It, it uses this, like, turn your foot. So your first step, right? How do I become a true worshiper? I'll worship harder. My least favorite environment is where worshiping louder is required. That is religiosity at its worst. That's just like the Pharisees. Pharisees. It's grace. You know what I'm saying? It's grace. I haven't said a word right today. So it's not, it's not if we could just get people to worship more, whatever that is for us. It's not that. Yes, but it's got to be worship like in John 4, in spirit and in truth. And I don't get to title what that looks like in Jordan. But it's true when it's true. And when it's true, it looks like this. And this is saying to us, he's summoning us back to a Sabbath. And a Sabbath is from the beginning. Not as a requirement, but it's a gift. It's like Jesus is saying, guys, I've been telling you all along, these are the gifts I've given you. I've given you a day out of seven to do nothing and be filled. Why will you not choose it? And in that day is where you'll come most alive and be most filled by me. Why will you not choose it? And then we continue pursuing our own identities. Even in Christian culture, we do it so well. We just clothe it with humility. And it looks like we're mourning and and doing this, and some of us have learned how to do this in worship, and it looks great, right? What are we doing to offer space back to him, our first fruits of our time? Sarah's just now in the room realizing our family's here, so it's awesome. I'm going to try and say this. I'm trying to put this phrase together to close. The kind of person God's trying to create has to be the kind of person that starts walking in it and then we hear stories from. We don't just need to be told, you become this. We need to see it happening in people and embodied in people and we need to hear their stories. I practice this kind of rest and in this space, I am filled by God and I am vibrantly worshiping Jesus. And that worship looks like me then giving it to others. I'm gonna brag on a couple people Actually, four people. Actually, five. I'm going to put myself in it, too. I'm one of these. I'm just kidding. The cooks right back here. Alita and Justin, okay? Jonathan Godby right here. He's so pumped right now. Look at him. He's, yeah. <laughs> when I, we talked about this. Who are people that we know in our lives, and many of you other, other people, that embody passionately worshiping God and then serving brother and sister? The cooks, like, Justin's crazy. He's awesome. He's crazy spiritually. He's just all over the map going after God. He's, you're not going to box him in. Also, he serves people so well. He goes after people so well. He embodies this idea of I'm passionate for God and I'm going to worship him. I'll even dance in this room. To, I'll serve this person. I'll pull over to help them. I'll call. He, I, I know that he'll be there whenever, whenever, whenever. Same with Alita. Same with Jonathan. Right? Like, same with a lot of you. We need to hear stories from people doing this, to embody this, like embodying rest, embodying worship, embodying serving, because this is the kind of body God's creating. The next generation will do this better than us. They have to, because we're going to tell the stories of how to do it. They're going to step into it. We're going to celebrate it, right? This is what our call is, to raise up a generation that would do this. So if you'll stand to your feet. Worship team, you can go ahead and come up. Prayer teams, if you want to come up. 
here is what is not being said to you today. You're a bad person. Go away. It's not being said. What is being said is, I have gifts for you that I would love for you to enter into. These are gifts that are totally yours. They are already here. I want you to rest. I want you to vibrantly worship me. I want you to be filled by me. And I want it coming out of you. These are the gifts of God. So he would make war against a structure that would do the opposite. He would send a prophet into your life to say to you, you are too busy and it's killing you. Stop. He would blow a trumpet in your face and you'd be like, get the trumpet out of my face. And he'd be like, no, it's more important that you know I'm leading you into freedom, but you continue to demand this lifestyle. The prophet is speaking into your depths. Rest, be at peace, let me fill you. Only he can do the filling. So Jesus, as we, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes. Here is your strong challenge. Your strong challenge. Create space to do nothing so that you can become the kind of worshiper that the world needs to see. And I'm going to ask you to set foot against the way you've treated the Sabbath day, which is a gift from God. Because we all have. We all embody that. And we've replaced it with busyness, so Jesus, we repent for even on the Sabbath, keeping our workers going so our businesses can stay floating. Help us to push pause. I ask you to take a deep breath in. And breathe out slowly. Set foot against the way you've allowed the culture to lead you into busyness and make war against it. Jesus, lead us on the way everlasting. Help us to hear you. Many of you will hear God again. Many of your parched families and homes will be filled again. Mommy, what are you doing today? Nothing. I'm being with Jesus. Daddy, why aren't you out with your friends tonight? Or why are you not on Xbox? Because I'm doing nothing because I love you. Make war against busyness. Form us into worshipers, Jesus. And God, I just pray over each person here that they would receive their blessedness from you, God they would hear your voice speaking into them, that they are yours and that you're delighted. As Revelation says, God, as Isaiah says, you're delighted in them just being created. And we thank you, Jesus, for everything that is good. It's from you. In your name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.